would love to have had her. Welcome to Don't Drink the Tea. It's that hot mic. It's a hot mic. <laughs> it's an act of the greasy pop. You know what it is. They better know what it is by now. We were goofing. Welcome to Don't Drink the Tea. It's an Agatha Christie podcast where we analyze her books one by one, and I'm Josh. And I'm Charlotte. And And wait, there's a dead silence. What could this mean? Our homeboy, Zach, is no longer with us. (gasps) No, he's not dead. He's just not with us for this small episode where we're covering a book that's not one of Christie's major mystery novels. Um because we were recording uh, today what we also had our lovely interview with Anne Claire today. So we decided- The author of Dead and Gondola. Yes. (laughs) So we decided we're going to cover another book and Zach will be with us uh, again in our next episode. He's just, I like to think that he's such a purist that he will only do the ones written by Agatha Christie under the name Agatha Christie. Yeah, I asked him and he was like, look, I stayed for Giant's Bread and Unfinished Portrait and I told you two out of six is all I'll do. (laughs) Yeah, does he even know that we're doing this? I don't know if he'll be like, oh, thank goodness I didn't have to be included or if he'll just be like a tiny bit hurt. (laughs) If I told him, the only reason he knew we were doing the author interview was that I had to get that dinosaur question from him. And he sent me the list of his questions. And then he sent like, wait, what is, you know, every time anything with the podcast, it's always like, wait, what is it? What, huh? And so even with just like scheduling what day it'll be. So there's no way he's going to have hurt feelings over something that, you know, what he, what he cannot possibly know will not hurt him. Right. And he also never listens to any right, of the exactly. episodes. He would never know. <laughs> Somebody would have to tell him and then he'll pretend to be upset. <laughs> yeah well i have you know have to admit i'm never like oh i i'm always excited to read something that christy has written that i've never read before dot 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 i'm usually not happy for a westmacott it's like oh man they're huge and they're boring and yeah and you know some of them have redeeming features as we've talked about before but it's usually like a more of a sense of an obligation than like oh yay and the first two, and I have I even said what the book is? We're covering Absent in the Spring. That's the name of the book we're covering. The first two Westmacott. So this is the third Westmacott of six. The first two Westmacotts that we covered, Giant's Bread was the first, which was in 1930. And then and that was the was that the weird that was the weird one with like the dude who was terrified of music but became yes. a composer and then everybody died in the Titanic at the end. Yes, that was okay. Giant's Bread. <laughs> And, you know, our review was what was mixed. We, I think we ended up giving that one like uh, like a decent at best rating, but there were things to enjoy. Like there was some good skill writing, but it was like she's not ready for what she's taking on yet. And Unfinished Portrait happened four years later. And I was very hard on Unfinished Portrait and I really want to revisit it. Um, I still don't think it's, and most people will acknowledge like, you know, they're not, most of the Westmacotts are not amazing, but um, that one I I was pretty harsh on, and it and it always feels bad because the the interesting thing about Westmacotts, especially Unfinished Portrait, is that everyone says that's the key. That's like that is Christie's true autobiography because in Christie's actual nonfiction that she wrote about herself, she very rarely told you anything about herself. Mm-hmm. But in Mary Westmacott, 
like you said on on the interview episode, it's it was like therapy for her. But the two Westman cast that we already covered were very early on, and that was before she had she you know she was writing a fantastic novels back then uh, with her mysteries, but. She, her sometimes her prose or even like her psychology or her pacing was still not quite as developed yet so there we have a gap of this one of how many years is it of 10 years exactly between unfinished portrait and absent in the spring and, oh wow and we've seen like how far she's come as a writer like i mean just something around giant spread uh you know how far she's come from like murder at the vicarage Sidiford mystery to uh toward zero death comes as the end like mm-hmm. she has progressed so much and it's so interesting to read them in order like this how much she has changed as a writer so yeah whenever a westmacott came up i was like i wonder how it's going to be now that she has matured so much yeah um, and i'm really interested to see what you think about absent in the spring because this is the first time for both of us right this is the first yes. we've read it for the first time and we we read it like within the space of a couple of days like because right. it's it's very hard to find too i don't know how you found this one how did you find this it is very all the westmacots are hard to find which is so weird because the christie estate not to make them sound like you know money greedy like corporate amazon kind of people but they like, you know, anything they're go they're going to release these things to make money. I don't know if they don't own them, if there's some sort of like weird publication thing. Yeah, because kind of- I looked on the official website and they have they usually have the covers uh like for each story, they'll have the cover up on the really pretty editions. Yeah. Um, and Absent in the Spring has this lovely cover. And I I think, like you said, there's like a little thing at the bottom. It's like, oh, you can purchase this book on Amazon or something, which I don't really want to do but I mean you have a, an older copy yeah, that yeah. was three dollars and fifty cents US <laughs> yes I, I just got mine at a used bookstore that that okay. I like just happened to have it and that's how I found all of my West Macots because they you like I know that the Agatha Christie website seems to sell them but they don't stock them in stores so maybe that's not I, you know they must own them but it's just weird that you think they would throw them in and try to sell them because, you know, people mm-hmm. would buy them. I think they're written by, especially Christy Purist. I mean, the same as you're selling something like the big four, like a real Christy outlier. Like I don't, yeah. it's interesting to me that, that they're not, that it's, they are so difficult to find. There's a lot of people who still don't know. I mean, I would say a huge percent of people who, oh, of course you say Agatha Christie, they're going to recognize the name, yeah. have no idea that she wrote right. these these uh under the radar books but yeah so anyway you read it very quickly gave it to me so I could read it very quickly and then we have not like usually whenever we're together it's like oh okay we're not gonna say anything we'll talk about on the podcast but we didn't even have a chance to like be tempted to talk about it so neither one of us have any idea what the other one is thinking (laughs) which is awesome I love that it is it's the first time we've had that in a while um now uh what was i gonna say <laughs> no i completely lost it um interestingly enough yeah like uh, the fact that we've read it so quick is that we talked about this with with Anne claire again she brought it up that this book was written in three days wow and that was one of like the most interesting facts about it that and i cannot remember the words that john Curran used uh in his 
in secret notebooks but it was like you know this was a weekend where she just sat down and she and she just wrote it all and agathachristie.com uh has these facts about it because I, I i couldn't even find that much about it i always read uh the secret notebooks about like you know you're not going to read secret notebooks from beginning to end more than once but it's not like a book we would cover on the podcast but i when we read every mystery book i go to it and look at all the pages that reference the book we're talking about and there would would only be like one page and the and what it would talk about would be like this book was written in a weekend so the facts though that the um that the website had was like it's never been adapted for one which none of the westmacott's have it's been adapted for radio but that's it the title comes from a Shakespeare sonnet from You, I Have Been Absent in the Spring. But the most interesting is Agatha Christie described Absent in the Spring as the one book that has satisfied me completely, the book I always wanted to write. It was written with integrity, with sincerity. It was written as I meant to write it. And that is the proudest joy as a joy an author can have. Mm-hmm. And it's always interesting to me when you think of Christie as the mystery writer that that wasn't like necessary. She kind of just that happened to her rather than it was her like her career was not planned as a mystery writer and something like this even though she did like like lover mysteries but something like this brought her much more satisfaction than something like and then there were none even though she did uh, admire that as a challenge but this is the book that she said like oh yeah that is the one that I would not change thing yeah and she wrote it for herself, which I, I'm happy for her that she, you know, got it published because it could have been one of those things that never saw the light of day. Yeah. But I I appreciate that, that that's the way that she felt about it. Yeah. And this one, um, among all of them, has the best reviews of the Westmacott's, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, it has the highest rating on Goodreads. It actually has a four. Like which I was surprised to see. And contemporary reviews of it were pretty decent. I saw one review that said, like, this could be a classic, which which uh, I agree, just like, you know, just the format of the book. Like, this mm-hmm. is the kind of thing that if Virginia Woolf had written it, it would it's it goes well into uh, that kind of psychological study. It's a very modern idea, too, that I feel mm-hmm. like somebody still would do, which we'll talk about when we get into the plot. But of all the Westmacott's, and we're only three in, and I've only read one beyond what we've covered now, um, this one seems to be the one that people laud the most. And and Claire, in her book, Dead in Gondola, had, had talked about it, or had the characters talking about how, um, you know, intense it was, soul-searching. And I was, like, so struck by that. And then I found other people online who, and it was very obscure, and that, but, you know, they but they were saying like, you know, Absent in the Spring was the scariest book I ever read is what somebody said. Mm-hmm. And they said like, it was one of their favorites of Christie and they couldn't believe that m- more people didn't know about it because it was just so it, it, one of a kind heart shattering and not in the way that when people say heart shattering that you think you, they mean like Marley and me, but like, right. yeah, yeah. Don't in a much dog. more in a much more complicated way when you read that book and you set it down and you are like it's all you're thinking about yourself and your life and Mm -hmm. that she achieved that and then it's therapeutic but anyway we're going to talk about the book yes I'm I'm excited so yeah so I think it's nice to include that context and yeah there's not a lot to be to be found about it and and that was really exciting for me too to like 
to be reading something that I had no, yeah. no backstory for whatsoever, no clue, right? just no preconceptions at all, just to pick mm-hmm. something up and read it for the first time. Mm-hmm. That is super satisfying because that hasn't happened in a really long time. And yeah, yeah. so there's no other Christie that, I mean, I don't know much. I don't know anything about the Rose and the Yew Tree or the Burden, which are two others. I have read A Daughter's a Daughter and we'll get to that. But uh, Rose and Yew Tree and the Burden, I know nothing about. Mm-hmm. But like this one, somehow I feel like I knew the least about this of any book ever for some reason. And I think yeah. it's just because I just like, I just thought, oh, that's a Westmacott. But it's like, you know, I don't know. Whenever you discover something and you're like, oh, how did I not know about this? Like, I know everything about this. Right. It seems like it should be such a big deal, especially for a fan. And that's how Anne Claire made it out to be. Yeah. And I was like, how have I not read this one yet? And when I, when I read it, I'm like, how is this not something? I mean, I know, like, I want to hear what you think about it first before I say what I think about it. But um, yeah, so I'm calling dibs on you having to say your feelings first. (laughs) (laughs) But I, my first thought was, why, how is this not required reading? Yeah. Like every eighth grade literature class should have to read this book, in my opinion. But anyway, we'll get into that. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I, I, what I wanted to start with, because we always talk about the plot, like we could say the entire plot of this book in like a couple sentences. Like Joan, she goes to, to visit her daughter in Baghdad. She's on her way back, the train. She can't get on the train because there was a flood. So she has to stay in this little town. And like it's it's all it's just like it's two buildings, right? It's like they call it a roadhouse or a station house or yeah, something. Yeah, it's not even so like, it's like a city, right? It's it's, it's a, like it's not even really like a hotel. It's more right. of like just yeah, just like a a restaurant with a couple of bedrooms. <laughs> yeah, it's a structure in the middle of the desert, and she has to stay at this place. And like, you know, she had like two books with her and she finishes them like super quick. And she's so, so pretty much the whole idea of the book. And this is brought out at the beginning is that she is, she has to stay here with herself. She has to stay here and be alone with herself for the first time. And like look in the mirror and actually see how other people see her. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole book. And it, Christy she's not the most subtle writer in the world. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she can be pretty on the nose and, but like just that, and she can be on the nose in this book too, but like that, it it is as artsy as it sounds. Like it is as postmodern as it sounds. Like mm-hmm. this, that plot would be written by one of the big names of even like stranger books, like, you know, books where they're just like studied like this is right. a character study because I could easily see I talk about weird books we talked about that with uh Death Comes As the End I could see this being like an Otessa Moshfeg idea that she would do obviously there would be right. some something weird and repulsive in it that's not in this book like there would be worms <laughs> or something or <laughs> dirty diapers but that this idea is not 1944 this is no not at all which I is was. like we don't we don't say it enough that she did things for the first time or she did them best but yeah this was so far ahead of its time i feel like people are getting credit 
now, like people writing in 2022 are getting credit for like, oh, wow, what an interesting character study you did or, or wow, what a unique perspective you had. And it was like, this was 1944 people. <laughs> and, and yeah, and I was, I was what it said, um, you said on the website, it said that it had never been adapted. And uh, I'm like, why? This, this was, this could be a, a psychological horror movie so easily mm-hmm. i was like i i want to send this to jordan peele and, and you direct this because yeah. because it's all there everything is there it is one of like the scariest things you could read without without ever being scary there's not a single scary thing in it and yet everything is terrifying <laughs> yeah and and i don't even think that was her intent like like, I don't think her, like, her intent was like, oh, I'm going to write a scary, like, a book that is so uncomfortable to read because of everyone's uncomfortable with who they actually are. Like, I think just, like, she got, she sat down and she wrote a book about, I feel like in order to talk about it, I have to get, like, a little more into the plot um, for what there is, because just to have, like, the idea of what's going on here. Um yeah, so it's a woman named Joan. She has three grown children and her husband is back in England. And so, yeah, a lot of her thoughts are, you know, that's that's everything to her is her family. And they're what she sees as success. Right. Yeah, she uh, she goes to the whole purpose of her visit was to help her sick daughter who was recovering from an illness who lives in Baghdad and um so while she's here she meets up with a woman named was it Blanche and yeah and as she meets Blanche she's kind of like oh Blanche like Blanche like really ruined her life I feel sorry for her and like Blanche is just kind of okay because Blanche has had like a ton of husbands she's, like she's left one man for another you know while Joan has had this and you know Joan is always like, very, broke <laughs> yeah very obviously judging her not very subtly in their conversation as they meet and Blanche is kind of like like laughing it off at me like oh no it's like uh I feel does she say she feels sorry for Joan like she says something that just is like Joan's like what mm. and then Blanche is like well you're gonna be well uh now I'm trying to I should have wrote down the exact words but an opportunity to be completely alone with your thoughts like Mm -hmm. what would the that be like that's a scary thing and Joan is like that would be relaxing I don't know what you're talking about stupid Blanche (laughs) and uh you know from we're already getting like the perfect painting of you know Joan is like she's very uptight and like she has this like you said she has this image of success and how a woman behaves and just something yeah she's always talking about how how bad everybody looks like she's like oh wow you're this age but my goodness you look so much older you look so tired wow you didn't take care of yourself and then she's looking in the mirror like oh no I I look pretty good you know no one could tell my age (laughs) yeah she's very full of herself and she she has this vision of like you know Blanche she's ruined her life with like all these men and she's like but I have this perfect relationship with my husband and my kids all love me and like I have just like a perfect life I'm like just so happy with how these things have gone and then she like and she has this meeting with Blanche and it just kind of like it pushes her off kilter for like a second like that's weird like the things that Blanche says like kind of stick in her head they keep playing in her head 
And then she gets stuck at this at this place. Like we've said, she reads through. She has two books. She reads them too quick. I, at the sections where she's like reading through these books, and she's like, "I gotta slow down. Like I gotta pace myself because I only have two books." Felt so relatable. Like when you only have one book for a trip, but you yeah. like read it too quick. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when she finishes those books, she's just left to just think. And because of that, she starts playing through like things that have happened in her life and the the way that you do and like you know you're just thinking about memories and at the beginning of the book where we are seeing them as the reader and and it's not first person uh it is third person but it's like all from her perspective because right we are seeing her memories and we as the reader are seeing something different than she is seeing we as the reader are saying like well yeah you were very controlling there or yeah it's like it it's yeah you can be like oh wow yeah you can definitely say she handled that situation wrong or this is how that person is actually feeling and how can you not see this which is a really clever way for christy to do it because joan was like i just don't understand why people aren't more grateful to me for having completely micromanaged their whole lives like you know in translation (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right yeah she can she's always like like ma- she will pat herself on the back for handling things well and th- th- it's like the first time I've experienced that with Christie's writing where like you as the reader it's because she doesn't really do like dramatic irony all that much because of how mysteries are handled but it felt like dramatic irony because you as as the reader are seeing how just one example is with her husband who really wanted to be a farmer like that was his like main goal in life and she as his wife was like I'm not gonna be married to a farmer like you're gonna be a lawyer and because was it his dad that was a lawyer was he taking that on their family yeah his whole family had been solicitors yeah so she's like you're gonna be offered a partnership and that's what you're gonna do because why would you do anything else and also farmers don't make money and it's it's just a Everything was always, you know, oh, it was a phase. Oh, it was just, it Mm. was a childish wish, all this stuff. And we, as the reader, can see, like, everything from that moment. Like, things he says that she's like, well, that was a weird thing that, or things that he says. And she'll be like, that was a weird thing my husband said. That had nothing to do with our conversation. And we are, as the reader, are like, he very clearly, because we can't be in his head. But we can, like, oh, he was saying that because he feels like you ruined his life. Mm. And... And the kids, a lot of experiences with the kids too, where it's it's clear that they, she's thinking back on these things and we can see that the children have a bond with the father where and they don't have that same thing with their mother because mm-hmm. she is the one who is micromanaging. And slowly but surely through the course of this book, she starts to see little cracks of things. Like an example is, and you can talk about this because I've been talking a long time is she keeps thinking about this girl or this or other women that have been around her husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was some young woman who was in the town or in, I don't know, in in one of the clubs that they had or something like she always wanted to play tennis with with Joan's husband. And and she kind of made it out like, you know, that like, oh, he he probably was really flattered by that attention. And you know, was really glad when the girl moved on because she was just a silly girl and all this stuff. Um, but that to her was like, um, that was unsettling to her. Like she thought that that would have been like a, a like a, a test or a temptation for her husband. But then you find out that the, 
and this this goes on for quite a good portion of the book she keeps having all these memories of a, like a was it a woman who lived next door like a family friend or something who actually lived yeah. on a farm and um had like a really tough life and died of cancer and stuff like that which was interesting that they like they mentioned that directly in the book like she talks about yeah. how afraid everyone is of saying the word cancer which i thought was also very like wow very um yeah because you don't ahead see of that, its time yeah you don't <laughs> see that word in books back then like because I, when i saw it, when cancer came up i was like like in the context of christy is like i feel like i've never seen that word yeah and she said that and which is you know was just fascinating because she was a nurse yeah. um that you know, she said no one uh, people always what did she say the words that people had for it everybody had these other expressions for it that they just refused yeah. to say the word yes yeah, so this woman dies of cancer and, the, and you find out that even though nothing ever happened that her husband had like very deep affection for this woman right not for the silly girl that she thought was a problem but for this for this what they call her a brave unique woman or something that yeah, yeah. and yeah it, it becomes clear eventually to the reader because you like she'll she will observe these things but it, it also becomes kind of clear that she is she is kind of she's like slightly disturbed by it but she's happier for uh her husband to have had this this flirtation with this stupid shop girl or whatever she was uh than this actual deep passionate like attachment to this woman that she viewed as like a mess because mm -hmm. she like says these things uh, like oh her hair was always like scattered like how could he like why would it, why not this young like pretty girl over here why would he be into this girl who's like my age and not my equal like I'm so much yeah. better than her but he likes her mm -hmm. and that like slowly and that is the scary part of the book slowly the facade like breaks apart where she starts to see all of her memories in the context of like, wait, have I gotten everything wrong in my life? Like, like my husband is laughing at me. My husband thinks that I've ruined his life. My husband actually had feelings for this woman. My children have this bond with <coughs> their father and not with me. And she's thinking all of all these things. And so she tries to stop herself. She's like, no, I'm not gonna think about that because it's just not true. And mm -hmm. it keeps sneaking up because she has nothing else to think about. And she'll just get swept up in these memories and she'll just lose it and slowly like devastate herself by the things that she like was said before she sees herself in a light that she has never to this point seen like oh I'm not like as successful as I thought I was I've, I'm actually like a monster <laughs> yeah and it was it I know you said something about Chrissy not being very subtle and some of this stuff was stated very plainly, but I felt that there was a lot of subtlety in this one that, mm -hmm. that she had that perfect pace where it drew you along where you were always one step ahead of her, but like, no, wait, this is what really happened or no, wait, this is yeah. what these people really felt. And then you're kind of waiting for Joan to catch up to that, which is part of the, the thing that makes it, it it's scary in a way because because you do the same thing you know if you're watching a scary movie like you know the scary person is around the corner or you know the jump scare is coming but the character that you're experiencing with it with does not so you get kind of keyed up for that reason and I felt that same way with Joan but I, I liked what the structure that Christy had in this is that 
she did it like a, a very real train of thought. And maybe not everybody thinks this way, but it, for me, it was like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is so real. <laughs> like it would be a word. She would think of a certain word or that would bring back a memory. And then she would start picking apart that memory and, and thinking, reanalyzing everything. And then she's way off over here in left field. And she starts to get these uncomfortable thoughts about, did I handle that correctly? Or was I missing something? And then she'd be like, now, why on earth did I start thinking about that? She'd be like, oh yes, it was this word. And she'd kind of circle back to where she had been before. Um, very, very realistic it, yeah. to my mind, like that, that's the crazy tangent tangents that my mind goes on. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. I, it reminded me so much of something that I, that I really hate. And it's back one of my first jobs, I worked in an office and there would be days where it would just be me in the office. And like, you know, I would have music playing, but the work was so mindless and because of that your mind just kind of runs and then I would remember like back in those days like at the uh at the end of the day like my mind would have gone from this this thought to this extreme version of this thought where I'm thinking Mm -hmm. like oh this person hates me because of this thing that I did and then I would like get caught up and then I would like bring it up to that person and they would be like what what are you talking about like I haven't thought about that in years <laughs> yeah and like and also like it wasn't that like no I I didn't even remember that and mm-hmm. I like but I, I know like that feeling that you get where you're it, you want to stop it but it just keeps snowballing and I'm sure everybody has that but mm-hmm. what's so interesting about this book is like that's it's a person who does that but like what if the things that you that you were afraid you actually you were afraid you are this thing and you actually are that thing <laughs> it's all true yeah <laughs> yeah yeah okay so yeah so you've done that you've experienced that mentally then yeah the you can, idle mind yeah you can relate to that yeah and I, I just feel like the the concept was so as it usually is with Christy stuff was so beautifully simple and mm-hmm. that you could you could create that same that you could make this in 2022 as mm-hmm. a movie so easily so simply like it could be somebody who, you know, is stuck in a tiny airport in an out of a way place and their and their cell phone dies. Then then that person is exact in the exact same position as Joan. And that and that's what makes it so relatable is that it's essentially about people and what goes on inside their minds. And no matter who you are, where you are, what time you're living, that essentially doesn't change mm-hmm. what people are on the inside. So yeah, the the plot works. And no matter where or what, I mean, I mean, you could, you could set this so easily. You could set it as somebody, you know, in space yeah, by themselves, <laughs> totally works. You're any, as somebody in prison, she talks about that as well. Yeah. Like just what happens when you don't have your normal things that distract you from the, the noise of your own thoughts all the time. I had that exact same thought about like, making it modern because the whole time I was seeing it kind of like a movie it felt very it felt very much like a indie movie that would come out now that's like one of those low budget uh and it's just so so interest introspective and Mm -hmm. that's what I said like yeah you you it doesn't have to be 1940 that is not important I mean there's a little bit of talk about pre-war stuff but it's not Mm -hmm. really important this book is timeless in the fact that it is 
whoever you are, you're someone in this family scheme. It could be one of the other family members. Like we could be Mm -hmm. seeing it from their perspective. Like everybody has the doubts about who they actually are and who they present as. And every once in a while we are confronted with that. And we Mm -hmm. have these thoughts where we just spiral out of control and maybe we actually are, but we're afraid, hopefully not. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like just I mean she understood human nature so well Mm -hmm. and obviously as and it's with quiet people shy people introverted people it's much more intense yeah because you know you're not used to spewing out emotional diarrhea it's just like (laughs) to anybody who you're like oh you want to hear about my trauma of the last five years but when you don't have anyone to talk to that's like this is I'm going to write about all of this and I think that was Christie's way of facing herself and which is crazy because you know I mean obviously we don't we can't talk to Christy now but Christy herself she, we don't ever think of her being like a Joan you know being this right no yeah th- I thought about that too like I don't I feel like you know this was probably Sorry, <laughs> this was probably Pilates. <laughs> just gonna fall right <laughs> off my perch here. Um, I, yeah, I feel like she she did. She was speaking of things that she had experienced, and I wondered if it wasn't so much how she felt about herself. Like mm. I'm sure that she had self doubt, like everybody does. But I wondered if it was like if it had a lot to do with her mom, because I know her relationship with her mom was really complicated. She was much yeah. closer to her grandmother and like just the whole like and and just the whole situation of of what was expected of women back then like like she was like okay this is my job to make sure my husband does his job and that my kids go to the good schools and have the good nannies and Mm -hmm. because at one point her kids were like what have you ever done which was definitely a little bit harsh but it was like dad pays all the bills and uh you just hire the nannies and then harass them <laughs> so they leave like like what part did you even play in us growing up and i feel like that was probably more christy's experience as a child uh even though she did she did have a child herself that she left in the care of others when she like when she traveled right so and she probably doubted herself on that but i yeah. do think reading this like i think it came across really strongly that not only was she introverted but i think she definitely suffered with like what would be considered today like you know will be diagnosed as anxiety exactly i thought about that too yeah and uh i think a lot of her fears or insecurities are there i know one of the things that gets brought up a lot and i don't know i guess it's from her autobiography i don't know but she always felt like um she had a complicated relationship with her mother and that's kind of that's kind of portrayed in uh Joan's backstory and it's done very well because Joan doesn't like think about like oh that's why I am how I am today but Joan's mother was kind of a mess Mm -hmm. and their father was always like talking to the kids and like you know keep your mom in check so that the kids would always be like oh mom you know she didn't do the right thing at the dinner party this and that and because of that Joan grew up so uptight to me like I'm not gonna be like that as a mother right which also explains kind of like her judginess with other people who were that way who didn't their clothes didn't match or who didn't their clothes weren't ironed or you know they had wrinkles in their stockings or their hair was out of place she's had a big thing with hair Mm -hmm. like like how could you go out dressed like that how could your hair be such a mess (laughs) but yeah you're right that probably did stem from the way the mom is portrayed in the book and christy 
I think admittedly had a complicated relationship with her daughter, Rosalind, because she felt that the kids liked the dad, liked Archie better than they liked her and sided with him just because, you know, they had a closer relationship. And that's portrayed in Unfinished Portrait. because Very much so, yeah. That that struggle there. And also a daughter's a daughter um, has those struggles with an adult daughter who's doing something that the mother or the mother is trying to do something, but the daughter, like they just, they have like this breakdown of communication and, and Christy wanted to make a daughter's a daughter into a play. And Rosalind was like, don't do it because I think it was too raw. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know, not to, to get ahead, but I did really enjoy a daughter's a daughter too. It's not like as deep as this one. It's a lot, it's, it's Christy's 50s style. So it's a little lighter and mm-hmm. it's, it works to play because it's very like dialogue driven, but it's also one that it's like, you know, it's very clear that she's like, you know, getting to the point of like, yeah, me and my daughter, like, it's weird how this is our relationship is. I think it's just, you know, when you explore a complicated relationship, she just, it feels like she just understands so well because she has been there overthinking all of these things and she knows right. like the ins and outs of why are we so complicated? Yeah, and which is an interesting thing too because someone who overthinks things sometimes cannot portray a character who thinks kind of one-dimensionally, which Joan does, but she does that in a very, she does that very well as well. Just her grasp of human nature in general was just amazing, but like that she could portray Joan as somebody who only cared about certain things and who was very judgmental, not because that's the way she was. She was what Joan becomes later in the book when she's like, you know, kind of a mess, but she, she knew what those kind of people were like and, and reproduced that thought process very well. But, and I did like the setting a lot, even though it could be anywhere at any time. I liked the setting because it's this shabby little place right on the border of two countries. Mm-hmm. There's just this building and a train station and there's no train. <laughs> and she, at first, initially, she was only supposed to be there for 24 hours. So it was like, OK, no big deal. I'll have my dinner. I'll get a good night's sleep, you know, have a bath and then tomorrow I'll be ready. And then the next day is like, oh, train might not be here for a week. And you go through that whole process of of like, you know, with a delayed flight or yeah. with anything like that, because you go through those those five stages, you know, or like however many where you're yeah. like, oh, okay. First it starts out, oh, this is an adventure. <laughs> right. Yeah. She's like, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna just go for long walks and I'm gonna be so happy. And she goes out and she like walks and there's nothing. It's just the desert and it's hot. And she's like, okay, well, this is dumb but i'm gonna try to i'm gonna write letters and she writes till she runs out of paper which always entertained me that she never asked the guy for more paper right. like she could she, she could have but for more books didn't she i think she did i think there just weren't any there yeah because he was just there to just like cook and wait for the train you know his you know his life was simple and she tried to have like one conversation with him and she was like well n- this is a waste of time i'd rather be by myself and then so then it goes from oh this is going to be an adventure to okay well this is really getting annoying to like well, you know she's read both her books train still hasn't come then it starts to become she's like oh i can just i can structure my own thoughts i can think about whatever i want to think about and then that realization that she didn't have as much control over where her thoughts went as she originally intended that's when it started to get like scary to me. Yeah. And I think if you presented it, especially visually, like you, it could be so terrifying because like one day she, she's like, okay, I'm fine. I'm just not going to go out in the heat. It was just the sun. I got overexerted. I'm going to stay inside. 
And then she couldn't stay inside. She got too claustrophobic. She's like, okay, I'm going to go outside. And then she lost sight. She had walked too far and she lost sight of the, of the right. roadhouse. And then it was oh, like, down, yeah. she was like, well, this is it. This is the end. And like it, the, the ups and downs and the, yeah. and the way it builds up to her just being like, and at that moment, like when she's absolutely so terrified that it, uh, she gets back and they're like, guess what? The train's here. <laughs> right. It was just, it was amazing. <laughs> and you know what I think is so interesting about it is that, you know, Christy doesn't do suspense a lot because mm-hmm. the format of a mystery is just, it's not built that way, really. <clears throat> it's mean, more procedural. Of, yeah, yeah, you have suspense of who the killer is, but. Except you know, for in Then There Were None. That, right, that's, that's what I was going to say. Like yeah. the two examples of that I think of are And Then There Were None and um, and Death Comes As The End. Because with both of those, you have like the funnel of suspense where at the beginning you get the idea. And the idea is that, we're not going to escape this. And in death mm-hmm. comes as the end. It's the, the idea, like, you know, no one in this family can escape this, like what they think is the spirit. And this felt the same way. Like at the beginning, she makes it clear what the book is going to be. Like, you're going to be alone with yourself and it's going to be terrible. And I felt mm-hmm. that same like funnel of suspense that she did in those other two books, which is so interesting because no one is dropping dead. There is no threat of violence. There's yeah, there's no threat at all. Yeah. And it felt the same way, like the book, like it felt like more people were dying because you were ruling out possibilities of how she can get out of this unscathed mm-hmm. and slowly like realizing and watch. And it's, you know, it's yes, we want someone to stop and be like, grow, learn to grow, like to mm-hmm. look back, like I made these mistakes. But as it's happening, it's like kind of, you know, you want her to, but it's so painful to watch her realize those things because it, you think about how it would be for you if you're like, wait a minute, am I the most selfish human being alive? Yeah, kind of devastating. Yeah. yeah. Or that everything that not only just what she thought about herself, but what she was so certain she knew about everyone else. Like, how could someone say they don't know their children? I know my children. She had no clue. Like, I, I completely understand my husband. Well, not really. <laughs> but yeah. And then the I, I do really think that everyone should read this. Like, if you can find it, you should read it. But also then, like, I wonder, I kept wondering, like, especially as I got closer to the end, how is she going to finish this off? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going to happen? Yeah. And like, and, and then also just holds so true in the process of when a person, like, they kind of, she has this really intense experience in these really odd circumstances. And then as soon as she gets back to England, everything's comfortable, everything's familiar, and she just writes off everything that she went through. And she's like, well, through the whole, her whole journey back, she's like, as soon as I get home, I'm going to ask my husband to forgive me and tell him that I understand. And I'm so sorry for what I did. And then she gets home and it's like old habits yeah. just fall right back into it. <laughs> and I thought Chrissy did that super well because there's no moment in Joan's head where because she's debating like should I even say something like will it just be embarrassing like was that all in my head did I just imagine it and there's no moment where she's just like um okay I decided that it was all fake but we just have her just accept it and, and instead of saying like getting down on our knees and saying forgive me she's just like oh hey I'm home and, yeah and that's it and and then the last chapter and I, this was so well done the last chapter is told from the perspective or not really but like from the from the viewpoint of the husband Mm -hmm. and it ends with the husband being like poor Joan like she's you know this is how she is and she'll never know it 
when right. we just experienced that with Joan where she knows now she knows right. exactly who she is but she's choosing to to suppress it because she thinks maybe her husband doesn't know and so now you have yeah. like the unwritten sequel of this book where now the continuing of the relationship is that they both of them think like oh poor Joan or poor what was her husband's name Reginald Rodney like Rodney yeah, yeah. yeah. Roderick something like that and they both <laughs> think like oh well they don't really know so it's fine so we'll be as yeah. happy as we can be and it's like no no that's horrible <laughs> yeah yeah and that's that's part of the suspense too that like you have this you see someone with this huge opportunity like you said to change and grow and then it's just the moment passes and and it's you know it's not going to happen but yeah. I did appreciate that with like, cause it ties up a lot of things. Like she went to visit her daughter. Her daughter was just sick, air quotes, sick. Like, and um, she had like this horrible idea of like why she thought she, she thought her daughter might've attempted suicide, right? Mm -hmm. The one in, in Baghdad. Yeah. And that they didn't tell her. So that was kind of left unsaid and Rodney, you know, um, being in love with the, the neighbor is, you know, yeah, then you, you're always having to ask yourself, okay, is that the part she imagined or is that the right. part that is reality? So at the end, when you're getting a little bit from Rodney's head, he says, you know, you know, he had strong feelings for this woman. He was really glad that, you know, he kept it at that. Like, yeah, he would have loved to have been a farmer, but you know, I understand why I couldn't be. Cause he's like getting, he's like preparing a mortgage or a for some farmer who wasn't making it, you know, and then his daughter sends him a letter telling him what really happened with her illness and all this stuff. So you get the loose ends tied up and you get kind of a glimpse at reality, but also I I was really glad to know that like, cause she had, Joan had gone so far that like, okay, all of my children and my husband all hate me. I'm a horrible person and everybody hates me. And it wasn't that at all. Like she's, her husband was faithful. He did, he did love her, even though she didn't understand him and, and he did have pity for her. But yeah, he was like, yeah, it's, it's a good thing that she'll never understand how alone she is. Right. Yeah. And that just in that one moment that she did and yeah. chooses to, yeah, just very well done. Like, like as much as I love Christy and like obsess over and defend her for people who point out her flaws, I, um, I would not think she would be capable of writing this book, but <laughs> of course she was. And it is brilliant. I think, I mean, there are little things in it that I read that I'd be like, oh, I would tweak this. I would change this. But like overall, I like, like I said, if this was written by a different name and you like week one or two minor things, very minor things, it would be revered as a classic. It would. Mm -hmm. It's only because it is, uh, and her prose is very, it's very well written, but it's very simple. Like if it had mm -hmm. somebody with more flowery prose, I'm sure people would be eating it up and be like, this is a brilliant plot. This is a brilliant character study, but it's slept on because it's Christie or West Macott. Yeah. And I think, yeah, in other hands, in different, with a different context around it, it would be something that children would be reading in schools. Yeah, they should. Absolutely. It It is it is incredible. And I was so happy to have never read it before. Cause that's, that's yeah. my big, my big problem with And then there were none. Like I hated finishing it because I couldn't read it again for the first time, right. not knowing what I know. And I felt that way about this one. Like this was such a joy to read something that I had no clue about that turned mm -hmm. out to be so incredible. And although this one, I think is like, is a little bit more, cause I've read and then there were none more than once. I don't know that I would read this one again, just because mm -hmm. it was, 
I think what it, what did Anne Claire say something about it being devastating? It really is yeah, psychologically. Nice. It is a devastating story, but not in the same way of like some you know some of the way that the modern take people get it. It just becomes too harsh and too yeah. old, and everyone hates you, and everyone's cruel, and life is a dark place. But she didn't do that. She presented right. it right down the middle, which is usually where reality lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what when I finished it, I was like, I I definitely need to because. I I need to reread Giant's Bread and Unfinished Portrait, but there's an obligation there. It's like, I want to give it a second chance. Yeah, it's I'm like, never reading Giant's Bread again as long as I live ever. <laughs> come on. What about no. Dumpty 2 where we revisit every single book? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. If I am stuck in a railway station with nothing to read but Giant's Bread, I will be alone with my psychotic thoughts. I will not read that book again. <laughs> I don't think that's true because you, like, you liked chunks of Giant's Bread. You did appreciate chunks of Giant's Bread. Oh, very few though. I the there were a lot of other chunks that I choked on. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, this one, like I know, like I want to read this again one day. Mm-hmm. And and I loved reading it quick, like and just yeah. experiencing it. Like I feel like th- it's meant for that by the yeah. way that you wrote it so quick. But I would love to go back and like just appreciate the subtlety of it. And it's mm-hmm. like it's like fine art and like I want to. I was already telling a couple people like, no, I need you to read this because I need to be able to talk about it with more people. Yes, that's what I was thinking. That's the very first thing I wanted to do when I put it down. I was like, I want to make everyone else read this because I think that for a lot of people who feel this way, it's it's really nice to to see it out in the open like that and kind of a like a relief that oh, wow, at least someone out there really understands what's going on inside my head. Yeah. 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 And I also immediately thought, uh, like, I wish I had the um, the ability to turn this into a short film. Like, I wish I had, like... Oh. The- so much every, every so page wonderful yeah didn't, didn't you just you just saw it and you yes. felt it and the and the oh, shots and that. the and the mirror stuff the the light tricks oh you could just do so much with it yeah. maybe next ken corner we can ask him like hey have you checked out Aston in the spring oh ken yeah i he i don't know if he could carry the intensity through the whole thing because ken, you yeah <laughs> ken as much as i love him ken doesn't have the subtlety he's not a subtle <laughs> He is a genre director, and I think he's he's I think he's a subtle actor in mm-hmm. some in some performances, but he's not a subtle director, mm-hmm. and so I don't think that he would be the one to to cover this. Because honestly, I was thinking of, and this is only because I recently watched Barry Lyndon. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, it's it's that Stanley Kubrick, and it's and it has a similar thing of you watch this guy make every mistake through his life and like he'll have something good and then he'll he'll ruin it uh-huh. i kept thinking about kubrick doing this because it's the kind of simple story i feel like he would have done and mm. like would have put so much into the visuals and obviously that's not gonna happen now kubrick is dead spoilers for those of you who didn't know go grab your pause the podcast <laughs> and go your tissues and come back but somebody who would be like you know i'm gonna make this like visually scrumptious but I'm not going to cram the the idea down your throat. I'm going to let you just to uh, experience it. And like, of course, mm-hmm. as I'm reading it, like, oh man, I wish I could do this. Obviously, I, I would not have this whole thing because I'm not a filmmaker. But <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I don't I don't know. The only person through the whole thing, which is totally weird, the only person I could think of was Jordan Peele. And like I've never watched any of his movies just because like he always, you know, goes too far with like the the like the scary part of it. But but someone, I mean, you know, of course Hitchcockian is a word now. Right. But or has been for a long time. But but of like somebody who who can show you things that you're meant to see without knowing that you're meant to see them that's a gift now i'm hooked on that that uh i'm trying to think of the director (laughs) okay but if director we can't settle on who is who is joan who do we get to play joan oh man yeah i thought about that too i mean i think the obvious choice and i wouldn't want to necessarily go with but if this was like a a, like a made in the 90s or something like that would be meryl streep Uh this is like i feel like a role that she would eat up um, but that is the obvious choice. Like I'm not saying that that's my choice. <laughs> I I kind of my brain went to Olivia Coleman. I think just because she oh, can do literally anything. Yes, like tell Olivia her what to Coleman. do and she'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, Olivia Coleman would be the right choice because yeah. man, she's she's the she's, right age and she's amazing. She's very very British. And have you ever seen her on interviews though? They yeah, ask her questions. She's she's like, yeah, I don't remember that. Like really? Know, she's like, was she I in seems that? Like the most like. <laughs> She seems like there. She can't have the craft down as much as she does. She's like but then very. You watch her, and it's like, oh wow. Which oh, I yeah. like that she doesn't like because some people like get so vested into their roles that they, right. it, you know, becomes damaging to them. And she's like, what? She what oh yeah, no, I don't remember any of that. <laughs> no, you're right. I hadn't thought about Olivia Coleman, but I think she is Joan. Yes, she should be Joan. And yeah. man, that's 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 great casting right there. <laughs> It has to happen now. Okay. All right. Uh, No, I keep thinking of of people and thinking they're not right, but that just shows how good the book is. It's like, you have to find the right director who understands, who would read this book and be like, you know, I'm not going to have a sign that says what's happening here. I'm just going to let it happen. And yeah. I'm I'm not as like, I don't have as, as much, opinions or follow people as closely their body of work directors as I do with actors which I should um I mean there's some things I've seen multiple things okay I really like oh it's the same director okay but like I don't know as many as I do with like and actors and actresses it's a little bit of a lost art now because so many things are controlled by studios so much yeah that you don't have a movie like like you know Hitchcock's Vertigo or mm-hmm. even like I mean we still do have our like Christopher Nolan we still do have artists that like you cannot or Wes Anderson you cannot separate this from that name but yeah. for the most part the major blockbusters you're not thinking of the director who made a Marvel movie unless you're really into the specifics of it or, or, or it's like the ones it's really easy to know the ones that you hate like right. you know like Michael Bay or yeah, Michael Bay. Michael Bay's uh no, <laughs> no. She's having this thought, but she's in a she's in a field full of landmines. Peter Jackson, yeah, while being chased by a kaiju, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So, any any like final thoughts before we get to the the create like the hardest part of this? <laughs> um, I think yeah, I think we covered it all so well, and I'm glad to know that that you liked it. I did Oh, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I figured I figured you would, but then also I didn't know if it was like because it's so personal. It like 
it, I could see someone reading this and being like, I don't get that at all. Yeah. Like, and then not, not in a bad way, like not to like, okay, well then you're just crazy that you don't get this, but like some people's minds just don't work that way. But I think the majority of people, this is unspoken how they feel. Yeah. And you know, you have to also be ready to confront that too. You know what? I'm going to say something that makes me feel like a very modern podcaster. <laughs> you know how some people say like, oh, that was a pre 9-11 movie, right? Like yeah. That was like a post 9-11 movie or something like that. I feel like post COVID-19 Josh had to discover abstinence in the spring. Like yeah. before COVID, if I read abstinence in the spring, I probably would have been like, yeah, I mean, solid three, three out of five or, you know, six yeah. out of five. But like post COVID, I'm like, oh no, we all get this. Now. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think I'm glad that it went under my radar because it was mm-hmm. like, I mean, I think I would have always admired the craft, but like right. being able to be like, oh, Christy, get out of my head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you're like, now you can be like, oh no, I understand. Like I get this. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. So now somebody's going to make a uh, quarantine absent in the spring. <laughs> yeah, it could be a quarantine thing like being alone for the first time you know in your apartment well during COVID I mean you mm-hmm. could and I'm sure there are books like this and that's why this sure the recognition but hey come on please someone I know oh look I just got the notification on my phone for the author's interview that started two hours ago <laughs> for those of you at home I'm, I may have given Charlotte the wrong time <laughs> but it's okay you let me know it was happening and I didn't miss it that's all that matters no. and it could and very well be that I forgot I'm, yeah I think it made it more natural but anyway um okay so we both loved it and here's the thing sometimes we say like oh why would we rank um, Wes Macott against a Poirot novel like it doesn't make any sense but mm-hmm. this podcast is about ranking every book that Christy wrote and so you know when it gets down to it it's fine to say towards zero is better than blob death on the nile even though we never would have thought to because that's just how we feel and it's about Mm -hmm. us it's not about some and there are some things that like i don't know in what context to i mean zach's not here so probably the best time is now but like (laughs) to go through the ranking and be like now do we feel that way like do we want to like switch these two and like i feel like five little pigs i would put above death on the nile like we have Death on the Nile as three. I would put Five Little Pigs as four. Like the farther I get away from it. Like I uh-huh. love Death on the Nile. Obviously, I've talked about that for hours on this podcast, but <laughs> I it's more flawed than Five Little Pigs. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we have to switch them. It's just like a, like that's one example. Like when when it comes to the top 10, I would like to at some point get that really fine, you know, get mm-hmm. that really sorted and be like, we're happy with this. It, you and know, you'll have to, because I mean, you're, you, yeah. you, things sort themselves out in, you know, in a way as you continue to add right. books to the thing and it's, it's going to push some of them down the list and it's going to, you're going to end up with this 10 that you can really when you finally got them, then you can really nitpick and be like, okay, well, this one edges this one out only by one scene or only right. by, you know, the fact that this this ending was a little bit tighter or, or you know, something like that. Yeah, I think we'll have to revisit a lot of these and not reread them, but just like really think about them. And uh, on the All About Agatha podcast, they do a thing where they revisit the rankings every so often. And we will have to do our own version of that without ripping them off. Um, not that that anyway so 
the previous two Westmacott's Giant's Bread and Unfinished Portrait are rated very low. We've done 42 books on this. We've done 43 books on this, but I don't know where Murder in the Muse goes. I need to go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> it was the only one that I can't find. It's a um, lot going on that day. <laughs> yeah. Murder in the Meows through Meow. Uh, but anyway, among 43, Unfinished Portrait is next to last with two stars. Uh-huh. Again, I want to revisit that. I'm not sure if I would feel that way, but at the time it was like... It was geez. so long. Giant's Bread was is at number 36 with two and a half stars. We did like Giant's Bread more than Unfinished Portrait. How did it get that half star? That had to be you because I hated it. No, at the time, we both really, I remember this, we both okay. really, really enjoyed what she did at the beginning with the little kid. And Oh, like yes, you're right. You're right. No, no, no. You're right. Yeah. And Unfinished Portrait has the same thing where we follow somebody from there, but it doesn't, it wasn't as, she wasn't flexing as many writerly muscles. Yeah. So now we come to Absent in the Spring. I, how many stars out of five would you give Absent in the Spring? I can't it's five I can't say anything else yeah, it's it's so I mean, intense it's so and and again it also is like like you said it has a lot to do with the time in your life when you read it but right. yeah I I cannot I don't have a criticism right. there was nothing you could cut out there was nothing you could add except for it just needs to be a movie done right, right. <laughs> I think at lowest, at lowest, I would give it 4.5, but mm. I was like getting closer to like 4.7, you know, and so at that rate. I usually do that. Yeah, I would settle for yeah. 4.9, just, I, I don't even know why, but yeah, just because. And isn't that insane that she wrote, um, now where did, where did I put it? Yeah, that she just wrote uh, a five-star book and a four-star book right before this, like, mm. I just, I can't believe being like this decade that we're in, I, every book that I come across and it's reading them in this order. I'm, I'm reading Sparkling Cyanide just to be ready for our next and thinking about the fact that we have Death Comes as the End. Then she took a break and wrote Absent in the Spring. Sparkling Cyanide and The Hollow do not exist without Absent in the Spring ha- having been written. Like mm-hmm. there's a piece of it that goes off into those books for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so with giving Absent in the Spring five stars, it's so hard to rank it against mystery novels because it's just so yeah, different. yeah. But I want it to be in our total ranking. I guess it doesn't have to be. Well, I feel like it. It's fair. It's like, fair. It's fair because we break it down, and that's uh-huh. just be how it is. So here are the five star books that we have, mm-hmm. and then the runner towards zero, mm-hmm. Death on the Nile. Mm-hmm. Five Little Pigs, Murder of Roger Ackerman, ABC Murders, Cards on the Table, Murder on the Orient Express. Those are our five star books. Wow. That is a killer's row. I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and swap Death in the Nile on Five Little Pigs just because okay. we just had that conversation. And it'll make me feel better because every time I look at it, I'm like, yeah, that just seems. <laughs> I'm I'm so glad that that you like this part of it that like you need the lists and you need the rankings and stuff. Oh, I because love lists and I always have and I like I'm always it, trying to find a way to good. bring it into my life, but like it's not important. But I'm glad that you do because if it was me, it would just be well, you know what it would be. It would be a bunch of sticky notes that I'd lost half of them and made up the rest. 
if I didn't have this podcast, I would still have this document. Like, because that yeah. was the thing I was beginning to, and I, maybe I would try to make a blog or something, but I was beginning to do this before we had the idea. I had gotten through to what, I don't remember, because I had read the first five books, like recently when we started the podcast. So, because I got really excited when we got past those and I was going to start doing it by myself because I'm a nerd and freak. <laughs> so what we always do is we take all the books that are ranked the same as what we're talking about. And we start at the bottom. Is it better than? Uh-huh. Is Absent in the Spring better than Murder on the Orient Express? That's not fair. <laughs> like, two perfect things. But what we always say, and that's the thing that we always run into, is that as perfect as Murder on the Orient Express is, it is not the most perfect book to reread or to read in general. No, and in fact, I think that the the emotional or the sentimentality that you get with it is probably from the movies exactly. <laughs> from the because yeah. it does yeah it is i would say it is better than murder in the express as a book yes it is is it better than cards on the table hmm and i love cards on the table i also think it's a simple masterpiece right it's just so different i know oh i i did orient express you do this one that's so hard because then I'd stop it here because would you say it's better than ABC Murders? Um, yeah, but it's not the same. I, <laughs> I yeah, that, that's the same thing. Like you, you know, Cards on the Table is one of your personal favorite. ABC Murders is one of my personal right. favorites, but it is, you know, for the unpredictability of this one and the simplicity of this one. It's just like if you were recommending a mystery, yeah, okay, I would recommend this. If you were recommending like a right. psychological character study, oh. but she does do some of that in Navy, but I, I'd say they're on par personally. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, you know, if any criticism of our list, but that it's, you know, it's not we are ranking every mystery, but we rank everything Christy has written mm -hmm. in this list. The same thing as we would put. Like, I mean, I would be comfortable putting her autobiography up against, up against Death of the Nile. She wrote it, right? right. <laughs> and that's just how it is. But I would be okay with putting this above ABC Murders and Cards on the Table, honestly. Okay. And being below Murder of Roger Ackroyd and Death on the Nile. Okay. Does that seem like a fair space for it? I think so, yeah. Because, you know, you give those two, like, you know, technically it is better than those two but like you know the ingenuity ingenuity and all that stuff mm -hmm. yeah but it definitely belongs in the top 10 and i i hope that it stays there but yeah competition's gonna get really tight <laughs> i know it's so weird I'm, this is crazy and i i know last time that it was silly that i was like shocked by my own decision about putting towards zero second but again i would never think that a westmacott would rank this high yeah like, this list is like i that's the cool thing about revisiting her books is that you can have a different experience with it later on like I would mm -hmm. never think cards on the table would make it that high I wouldn't think towards zero would be number two and maybe it will be bumped but I didn't I didn't even think the NRM or you know with the new context oh yeah that was that was a fantastic surprise such a rereadable author and you get a new experience every time <laughs> yeah and this I think we didn't talk about it a lot a little bit but this absent in the spring was another one of those things that was like Christy was either the first or the best and in this case she was probably the first to do something like this that now is considered such a modern yeah. thing to do but yeah yeah this was I was 
where has this been hiding all this time? <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt. Yeah. So that puts it at number six in our ranking of the top 10. And of course, among the Westmacots, when we have our little sub rankings, it is mm-hmm. number one of three. <laughs> of course. By a landslide. Like that's a big gap between. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, our next book that we were going to be covering, like I have mentioned, is Sparkling Cyanide. Does that have an alternate title? Yes. Remembered Death is the. Yeah, that's title. dumb. Not I don't like it. <laughs> Sparkling Cyanide is a very good title. So yeah. that is our next book. And like I said, it is one that I think carries. It is a book that has obviously been written by a woman who just wrote Absent in the Spring, which is not something <laughs> I couldn't have said before. But now having read it, right. I get it now. You're like, oh, OK. You know, see, I don't I don't know any characters from that book. I'm pretty positive I've never read it. Nope, no idea what's going on with it. I know nothing. It's not a it's not a Poirot, right? No, it's there's okay. no it's a standalone. I mean, Colonel, yeah, Colonel Race is in it, but it you know it acts oh, yeah. it's one of her standalones, which we've had a we've had quite a gap with uh, Poirot lately. I, I was just thinking, like, when's the last time we had a Poirot, man? Yeah, because we have the Hollow coming up after Sparkling Cyanide, but the Hollow is famous for him barely being in it and her not liking that he wasn't. <laughs> and I it's guess this, I think, Poirot this is being like, I'm gonna have my break from Poirot and I'm gonna experiment. Yeah, the last. Poirot book was oh it was five little pigs which by the time I get oh, to the right. that's a four-year gap wow yeah I'm glad she didn't back. give up on him no no because we've got we've got some strong Poirot's going on <laughs> well I'll be excited for sparkling cyanide that'll be great yes. and I did I I miss Zach a little bit but also i I'm kind of happy with as meta as as we knew this was going to be that we didn't feel like we had to like I didn't feel like, oh man, I feel so bad about like not including Zach at yes. this moment. Like right. <laughs> I think he's happier too, not being here at TBH. <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew for this one that we were gonna nerd out pretty hard whether or not we liked it. And yeah. sometimes it's just good to like have that safe space to nerd out without without anyone being around to be like, stop. Right. It's this a very <laughs> it's a very joke thing to say but like he should be so grateful for what we did for him yeah that we left him out of that one of us froze <laughs> Jones. yeah you froze. <laughs> sorry about that all good yeah um, this was fun and yeah, I- and claire's uh, interview was very fun as well i hope everyone has listened to that and that they have read dead and gondola yes. and if they haven't do it <laughs> go out Get a copy of Dead and Gobble and stop not doing it. (laughs) All right. Now we have to go find Zach. Okay. If anybody has seen him, please send (laughs) us an email. (laughs) Don't send us any emails. He might not be wearing his tag. (laughs) We need to get him microchipped. (laughs) He is a spotted calico and he's very friendly. (laughs) (laughs) He loves pizza. All right, kids, you stay cool.